When we face frustrations with one another or with other nations or leaders or governments, whatever it may be, we are called to love, not enact vengeance. Drawing close to God allows us to do this and it helps us to rely on his mighty power. He is a better judge, a better friend, and a better God than you. Well, this week, Pastor Ben Jepson shared with us from the book of Nahum, not a book that we go to often. Uh, it's a book uh, speaking against Nineveh. It's really kind of the flip side of Jonah that we looked at last week. Uh, but Ben brings out some great insights from this book and a great challenge for us. Welcome to the Gospel Chapel podcast, where every week we're posting the audio of our sermons. If you would like to know more about Gospel Chapel, you can visit us at our website, www.gospelchapelgf.com. And there you're also going to find all sorts of uh, other links uh, that will tell you about who we are and the ministries we offer. There's a lot going on here. And uh, we're really thankful uh, to God for the leadership that we have at Gospel Chapel. So if you'd be praying for us, that would be awesome. As uh, We're also going to be heading into uh, creating our budget for the next year. And our elder selection team will be uh, ramping up here in the, in the new year. And that's not far away. Hey, and if you'd like to give to Gospel Chapel, there's also information on our website about that. And we'd also love to pray for you. So uh, find the prayer box there and you can send us an email. Let us know what's going on in your life. And we'd love to pray for you. Well, God bless you this week as you learn from his word. All right. Well, we've got a sermon from Mr. Tim. Got a sermon from Mr. Abe. I don't know. I feel like we, we're doing pretty good already. I don't know if I need to say much at this point. Okay. Ushers, take the name. All right. Well, it's actually kind of funny because uh, Monday I took the day up at uh, the ranch in one of the cabins to write my sermon. It was great. And uh, just no distractions, see all the snowfall out there, have a cup of coffee. And I finished the sermon, more or less, and I thought, oh man, this is going great. So I started to read it, and I hated it. It was awful. <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I thought, you know what, no, it's, I've just been working hard, I'm just going to leave it. I'll give it to Shana to read, um, and I'm sure I'm just being a really harsh critic. No, Shana said, it doesn't really make sense. You've got to rewrite it. <laughs> so, okay, so then did another, another go at it. Still wasn't quite there. Did it again. Here we are. So we'll take it as it comes. Uh, that's how it goes. Hey, let's, let's get to Nahum uh, in your Bibles. Uh, it is near the New Testament Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Uh, so you can turn there. We're going to be reading a bit from there to start uh, this morning. I should have warned you ahead of time here to turn there, but uh, you can start making your way there. And uh, yeah, we're going to read in chapter 1, and we're going to read in chapter 3. It's not a big book, so it's easy to, to miss. 
Um, but while you turn there, let's, why don't we stand together uh, and read uh, the Lord's Word. So I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Uh, Nahum chapter 1, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh, God's wrath against Nineveh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of his, the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. And then going to chapter 3. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. The cracks of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, Hosts of slain heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over the bodies, and all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame." I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now let's just pray as we start. Uh, Lord, uh, this isn't uh, an easy text to read. Um, Lord, we thank you for your word, though, and we know that it is relevant for us today, uh, that it is powerful, that it is good, and that we can learn from it. Lord, be with us now. Uh, speak to us. Speak through me uh, as we take time in your word. Amen. So the older that I get, the more I realize I have no idea what I'm doing. You think it would be the opposite, but it's not. Your world continually expands and you realize you had no idea how this life really works. Your biggest concern when you're in elementary school is that the Slurpee machine is broken at Super Save, and you try to make it to see your favorite TV shows and cartoons after them, uh, school's over. Then high school, you start to have more problems. You start to think more about yourself, and you wonder how people think about you, and you try to get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And I never got a girlfriend in high school. Uh, then you get to college, and now you have student loans, and you realize high school basically didn't prepare you at all. <laughs> or perhaps you weren't listening. <laughs> you didn't pay attention, and now you wish you did, because you have to try to figure out how on earth you'll be able to write 15 pages 
on the Newtonian functionalism in youth ministry, which I had to do. You also wonder if you'll ever get a girlfriend, which I did. <laughs> you leave college, you got a bunch of debt, and if you're lucky, you start a career in whatever you studied in school, but maybe you hate it, but you just spent a ton of money on it, and now you have to do this career whether you like it or not. You can't change. Maybe you get married, and now you have to figure out how not to be such a selfish idiot and actually care for someone else and no longer live a life that's all about you. Then maybe you have kids. You go to the hospital one day, and they hand you this baby. And then you're surprised. You're surprised. Okay, they hand the, the husband the baby. The wife goes through a, a different process. It's a whole different process. I, I don't know how that goes. But I was there, and they handed me the baby. Uh, Shana went to sleep or something. And uh, this is getting worse. I'm so sorry, Shana. They hand you this baby, and you're surprised because for three years, you had to take tests and, and driving lessons to get uh, a license to, to drive a car. And you had to sit with an adult in the car with you, and, and you weren't allowed to drive at night and things like this. But you go there, and they just hand you this baby. And the only test that they ask you to do is to put the baby in a car seat. Like, that's all that parenting is. And you put the baby in the car, and you ask the nurse to come and live with you for three years so you can help uh, with this training process. But they just walk you to the car and wave goodbye. Then your kids get older, you get older, and their problems become more intense. The internet and smartphones didn't exist when you were a kid, and you're trying to pay a mortgage, the furnace breaks, your in-laws want to come for Christmas, your friends ask you about your investments, and you think, what investments? <laughs> and you go, I'm supposed to be thinking about retirement already? Your kids grow up, they leave the house, or maybe they don't. They live in your basement, and you don't know how to get rid of them. Your own parents are getting old and weird. And you don't know how to take care of them. Sorry, mom and dad. Uh, you retire, maybe. Retirement sucks because you were too busy to get a hobby. And now you drive your spouse crazy because you're bored and you're annoying. You get old, you look around at your church that you poured blood, sweat, and tears into, and it's all different. The lead pastor keeps saying that there likely wasn't three wise men. And they didn't show up the night of Jesus' birth. And the youth pastor resigned, and he became an executive pastor, and then he became a youth pastor again, and it's confusing and scary. <laughs> you don't like it. And then one day, you die. And a hundred years later, after your death, it's likely that no one ever knew you lived. Have a great week, everyone. I hope you were blessed. <laughs> so, uh, so if we're honest with ourselves, life can be pretty frustrating. Uh, it could be difficult, and it could be hard to trust that God knows what he's doing or that he's in control. It could be hard to trust God's sovereignty. And if we are honest we likely have more in common with Jonah uh, than we'd like to admit. 
we, we think we have things just figured out. We think we know what's best, who to trust, how to live our lives, and what God should do to other people. But we don't. We are children, and we think we know exactly how justice should be exercised and how to live our lives, but we haven't even made it past the second grade. And when we read Jonah and the Nahum together, we are reminded that we don't have this figured out. We're not in control. We don't know what's best for ourselves or for others. Nahum is the reminder that God acts, and he never leaves sin without judgment. It's a reminder that God knows exactly what he's doing and knows how to handle the problems that face us. It's a reminder that the best thing we can do in this life is take refuge in God's strength and power and accept his mercy and grace on our lives, even if we don't know how everything is fitting together. I want to look at verses 3 to 7 again. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty his ways in the whirlwind and storm and the clouds of the, are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. So what's happening in these verses? It's the same thing. It's very similar. It happens a lot in Scripture, but it's the same thing that happens at the end of Job. God is better than you, so trust him. Uh, Look at the language that's being used. The clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea. Mountains quake before him. None of this is true about Ben Jepson. None of it. Nothing and no one quake before me. In fact, I may have told this story before, but I walk uh, up to work every week, uh, every day mostly, and uh, there's always deer on the path. And one day I thought, I don't know why, but I'm like, I'm going to intimidate this deer because uh, that's the kind of person I am. So I kind of scruff my feet and I, you know, I kind of get close and kind of jump at it a bit. And the deer looks at me and then starts to put its head down and start to scruff its hooves. Guess who was quaking? <laughs> Not the deer. I can't even handle a deer. But I'm so grateful that verse 7 doesn't say, now run and hide because God is coming for you. Instead, it says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him, a shelter in the time of storm. Thank you, worship team, for singing that song today, leading that. So God is not saying that your concerns are unimportant. Remember the fish and the plant, the worm, these were all God's grace for Jonah. God had concern for Nineveh, and he had concern for Jonah. He cared about them, and God cares about your stress and your trouble that you face in life, whatever stage of life you're in. He just needs you to remember that he is God and you are not, and you don't need to have it all figured out. Nahum is the sequel to Jonah. Nahum means comfort, which is exactly what was being brought to Israel through this war poetry book, this letter, and in many ways is also being brought to us today because it reminds us of God's perfect justice, grace, and power. 
Jonah wanted God to act quickly on Nineveh and see justice and revenge be served the way he felt necessary. God instead decided to first extend grace and redemption. And we see throughout all of Scripture that God is slow to anger, quick to love. And Nahum highlights that in verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. This attribute of God was shown not only for the Israelites, but also the Assyrians in Jonah. Unfortunately, the repentance of Nineveh didn't last long, and God was now bringing down the hammer. So Nahum is now bringing the prophecy, not only as a word from God toward the Assyrians, but a reminder to Israel to draw near to him. A reminder for us today. We may not be in the same situation Israel was in, but we surely must heed the warning given here in this text. Draw near to God, don't take matters into your own hands. This problem is as old as the earth we live on. Sin does not go unpunished. Adam and Eve take matters into their own hands instead of trusting God's providence for their lives, and God brings his judgment. Freedom in life is not found in doing things the way you think will be best. Freedom is found in Christ and living that relationship out each day. God will always deal with things better than we can, including your stress about the future, the broken relationships in your life, your investments, or the youth executive pastor. Being married to Shana is a true joy and a delight. And within our marriage, my desire is to continue to get to know her more and more and reach even greater depths of intimacy. And to do that, I not only need to know uh, what brings her joy, but also things that don't bring her joy. <laughs> uh, not because I'm afraid she'll leave me if I don't like, keep her happy, but because what brings me greatest joy is serving her and bringing her joy. And in the same way, we can say that with our relationship with God. I want more of God. I want greater depths of intimacy. I want greater knowledge. And I won't get there by taking over. I'll get there by letting go. Letting go of my way, letting go of my bitterness, letting go of my anger. And Jonah couldn't do this, but Nahum shows us how. Israel lost their way by losing sight of their first love and the joy they had in serving and following God. Second Kings shows us how they got to where they were with Assyria. So in Second Kings chapter 17, it says this, And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. They served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers. And I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. When we read how Israel got into this predicament with Assyria, and we read Nahum to see how God comes in to rescue his people, we should heed the warning, and we should be thankful. Be, fa be thankful that God does not give up on his people. He does not give up on you, even in your mistrust of him. Take note, however, that you do not want to be on the wrong end of God's wrath. So how do we do that? We avoid what Israel did in 2 Kings. Stay true to your first love. Don't leave the way that God has called you to live. 
It will only be to your benefit to stay close to God. Nahum wants us to notice, especially in the first chapter, that God will not allow evil empires to endure. Ultimately, we can rest in the assurance that God will not allow evil to endure forever. There will be an end. Uh, And Tim actually read a bit from Revelation. This is true of empires, of political leaders, of governments, of nations, torture, sickness, death, and all the stress and worries that you are facing today, right now. This means that as people who belong to Christ, who follow a different way of life that is so contrary to most of what the world does, we don't have to worry about inflation or crooked leaders or sickness or even snowfall. We know that it's all going to be taken care of and we can trust in that and not try to take on vengeance or wrath upon our enemies because God said that he would handle it. That's hard to do sometimes. And there's a reality in in prophecy um, that is informing the future. Sometimes that means simply pointing out that if you choose to live a certain way, and continue down a certain path, you will end up somewhere that you might not like. And with that in mind, I think pastors can serve in a small way like prophets, showing how the scriptures reveal the way you are living and how that will turn out for you in the end. And I believe that's why Pastor Doug and myself want to be with you every week. We want to continue to get to know you. We want to be going before the Lord in prayer before we come up here on a Sunday morning to preach a sermon. Something that, I don't know, any other pastor from any other church can't do for you, or certainly YouTube can't do for you in that same way. I think of you as I write these sermons. I pray for you. And Nahum is a reminder for us that God sees injustice and he acts. Because he is slow to anger, it's not always on the timeline that we would like. God does not always do things the way we want and when we want. One commentator writes this, From time to time, God assigns someone to pay attention to one or another of these persons or nations or movements just long enough to get the rest of us to quit paying so much attention to them and get back to the main action, God. Nahum drew that assignment in the 7th century BC Assyria and had the whole world terrorized. At the time that Nahum delivered his prophecy, a world free of Assyrian domination was unimaginable. Nahum's task was to make it imaginable, to free God's people from Assyrian paralysis, free them to believe in and pray to a sovereign God. Through Nahum's preaching, his spirit-born metaphors, his God-shaped syntax, Israel could see that despite her world reputation, Assyria didn't amount to much. Israel could now attend to what was really going on. It is easy to misunderstand Nahum as simply a Nineveh hater, but the prophet writes and preaches out of the larger context in which Israel's sins are denounced as vigorously as those of any of her enemies. The effect of Nahum is not to foment foment religious hate against the enemy, but to say, don't admire or be intimidated by this enemy. They are going to be judged by the very same standards applied to us. So what might be that Assyria in your life right now? 
What keeps you awake at night in stress or anger or worry or fear? And do you know that Christ died for those things in your life too? He stared it all down and he defeated sin and fear. And the cross is more than capable of handling the problems you're facing today, even if they seem as large as a huge nation like Assyria. God sees the sin, the rebellion, the torture, the suffering on earth, and he offers the ultimate solution for everyone. Galatians says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's huge. My friends, we don't have to worry or stress about tomorrow, for we are set in the assurance of our salvation. We can take refuge in God. We don't have to hold on to grudges or bitterness or hate or anger or frustrations. We don't have to worry about what people think of us, say about us, or do to us because God cares for us. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Another commentator says this, Nahum's message to Nineveh has been proven true by history. Evil will be punished, but Nahum's message to Judah and to us has also been proven true. The Lord is a refuge in times of trouble. The book of Nahum is thus a book of judgment and of comfort. Judgment for the wicked and comfort for the righteous. For us, may Nahum be a prophet of comfort. Seek refuge in God. Don't take matters into your own hands. A few passages to remind us of that. Psalm 34, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Second Samuel, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And in Psalm 2, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And we must also remember not to allow bitterness and anger to grow in us because of our enemies. Matthew, it says this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I'm assuming, I could be wrong, but I'm assuming and, and perhaps hoping that not many of us here today are getting slapped in the face regularly. Which means if we take the passage literally, we don't really have any enemies at all. But we're not off the hook. What Jesus is saying is your enemy is anyone who contradicts you who crosses you, who agonizes you, who makes life hard for you. 
Winter is upon us, whether you like it or not, and that marks the time for my children to stop swimming in the river and the lake and the outdoor pool and moving into the indoor pool right here in Grand Forks. The first snowfall, that's what they said. It's time to go to the aquatic center. Okay. So last Sunday, we went to the aquatic center for the afternoon. And when we came back home, I said, I declared this as, you know, the father of the house. I said, all right, children, from now on, you're old enough now to go hang up your own wet stuff from the pool. Go hang up your bathing suits. Well, the reaction was more like I asked them to pay the mortgage, file the taxes, <laughs> clean the windows, or get oil changed on the car, and prepare all the meals, all the things that Shana does. <laughs> and you think that I would have been asking just so much from them. On some level, I want to be careful here, but on some level, love your enemy has an application to rebellious children on ill-tempered and insensitive family members, and even the people in your church who drive you crazy, who are sitting here with us today. Verse 46 in the passage, I didn't read it, but it says this, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same, which means there are people out there who don't love you. I'm sorry, your personality is so great, but some people just don't love you. Our default position isn't to turn the other cheek. It's to get payback. It's revenge. It's not love. We are just wired to return evil for evil, which means this call to not repay evil for evil is a very profound change. Have you ever noticed in the scriptures uh, that most times, if not all times, it's pushing us to move in the direction of being okay with being wronged? That that's just an okay reality for us to live in? instead of being violent. And this comes up a lot of times, even just to keep a level head. Ephesians, just a couple here, but Ephesians says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And James, it says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So now that uh, my son Miles is in school, he started kindergarten this year, I have to remind him that he's more along the lines of the size of a seven-year-old, not a five-year-old. Uh, and this was much like me growing up. And I told him, you know, you have this opportunity to use your size and, and maybe your, your strength to help people, not hurt people, and, and to be a peacemaker. And then a, a week or two after, I was taking uh, the kids to school at, across the street there, and Miles goes and lines up with, with all his classmates. And I'm watching him, and this kid turns around, and he starts shoving Miles in the chest over and over like this. My default was to go over there and shove that kid. <laughs> I won't do that, okay? I'm not going to do that. But that was my default, and it wasn't happening to me. I'm like, what's that kid doing to my son? And he was just taking it. And then they went in, and he didn't do anything. I was like, wow, that was amazing, like, just to watch. And then we were kind of asking him about it at supper, and we said, you know, what was going on? Like, how, how was that for you, Miles? And he said, you know, I tell that kid every day that I love him, and he hasn't said it back yet, but I'll just keep telling him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, I want to be like Miles, but I'm not. 
I thought that was great. Romans, it says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Nahum reminds us that vengeance and judgment belongs to God. It is God who will ultimately deal with every human, every nation, every evil that has ever sprung up and that has ever come against us on this earth. We don't have to worry about the things that come against us and the people who have wronged us. God will handle it. Rest in his refuge. Hold fast to his promises. Trust in his word. Seek God and the great depths of his love. And from that overflow, seek to love others. When we face frustrations with one another or with other nations or leaders or governments, whatever it may be, we are called to love, not enact vengeance. Drawing close to God allows us to do this and it helps us to rely on his mighty power. He is a better judge, a better friend, and a better God than you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, but it is the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to understand, that it confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner, a great desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. So if you don't believe this, then you haven't heard the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to earth as a man and as God, and he died for every single person who has ever lived. He paid the price for your sin, for your anger, for your bitterness, and all the things that completely freak you out and causes you stress and worry and keeps you up at night. And he now extends his hand to you and invites you to join him in the mission and the way of Jesus, helping the hurting, making disciples, telling others about him. Let's end with Psalm 145. I think this is really, really important for us to remember. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his works, words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on his, him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. 
The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked will, be, will he destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your power. We thank you that in all of our stress and our worry and our fear and all the things that we just don't know how we're going to handle it, that keeps us up at night, uh, that we are just afraid of, we just pray, Lord, that you meet us in those places, uh, that you draw us in. Lord, help us not to run from you in those times, but to have shelter, to have refuge, that you are our stronghold. And your word in this, in this, in this book of Nahum, it says that you know us. Uh, you know those who take shelter. You know those who take refuge in you. Lord, may we do that every day. Forgive us when we lose our focus and we get so caught up in all of our worry and stress and our fear uh, when we when we write a sermon and it isn't very good <laughs> and it's stressful, uh, Lord, we thank you that we can look to you for strength in the big and the small things in our lives, or at least the things that we think are big. It's no problem for you because you are mighty and powerful. Lord, thank you so much for saving us. I just pray as we go from here that you would be with us in our troubles, that you'd be with us in our joy, and we would continue to sing your praises to you and to one another as we encourage one another and as we one day see you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, my friends, have a great week and go in peace. <laughs>